And I'm just so sick and tired of it. But I can do nothing. Such is life. Man, I'm so sorry about that, man. Hey, Luke, how about this Leah Darrow? She's a neat person. <laughs> you know who's cool? Models who were born on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> former models. Uh, sorry, former models. Um, so funny story about this interview. We did not prep it at all. And usually we do. And she had a tweet on there about, I love interviews with no prep time. And I thought she was mad at us. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, we just, like, our biggest interview in terms of, like, our little Catholic world. And we just dropped the ball. Like, we being me dropped the ball. Because, like, I, I feel like I'm always the one who, like, brings that up after you do your tech stuff. And I was like, we just made Leodaro hate us. Oh, my gosh. Of course, I think in reality, what she meant was, she, was like, she just, like, she just enjoys interviews without the prep time. It's more fun, more off the cuff, I think. Uh, I, had to have our, I had to have Arlene Spenfley tell me that because I felt so bad. You thought she was being supremely sarcastic in her tweet? Uh-huh. I mean, like, and, 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 of course, I would understand. Like, I'm like, of course, like, this is what like, she does. We don't know what we're doing. And we just like – because like, every interview we've done, we always do. You explain the tech stuff. I give a, our little spiel, and then we start. Except for the Aaron Gillespie one. We didn't really do a lot of explaining. Well, we kind of did. Yeah. But it was – so – I felt bad, but I thought it was a really fun interview. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I'm glad that we did not. I really am glad that we didn't talk about America's Next, next Top Model because I feel like that's why. I have nothing to add to that conversation. I feel like, <laughs> why? I'd be like, hey, so America's Next Top Model. Um, um. <laughs> I had this whole line built up that I couldn't wait to say. I was like, me and you have several <laughs> things in common. Number one, both born and raised in Oklahoma. Number two, successful models. Number three, <laughs> I was just going to go up. Number three, affiliation <laughs> with St. Louis. Like, isn't that great? And then, and then I was hoping she'd be like, wait, you were a model? And I'd be like, yes, in the Husky Boys catalog, or the Husky Boys section of the Sears catalog. It's the softer side of Sears. I had a whole, literally, I'm driving home. I have my iPhone streaming her Marcus Grodi interview from a journey, the journey home from EWTN like three years ago. And I'm listening to it just to like get ideas and stuff to talk about. As I'm driving home, I'm like, oh, this joke would be so funny. Like, I was so excited. But then my brain, as soon as we actually, and she said, yeah, I was raised on a farm. It was great. My mind immediately went to Wendell Berry. Ask her about philosopher <laughs> Wendell Berry. And her response, she's just like, no, I don't know what that is. And I was like, <laughs> you will, you will. I'm going to start <laughs> tweeting you Wendell Berry quotes. <laughs> you're going to love it. No, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. So, Luke, anything new in our world? Anything new? No. 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 Not a thing. Not a thing. Nothing big is going on. Uh, just small and shriveled. <laughs> wow, we're going to take the cleanest podcast we've had in months, and we're going to ram it right into the ground. Uh, no, so we have started our very own pa- Patreon page, and I'm very excited about this. Patreon.com slash CF. Patreon is a way of donating money to artists, and yes, Damn it. We are artists. Avant-garde, if you will. Avant-garde, like Luke's jazz. We are, um, we, basically, Patreon lets you become a patron of the arts so that you can give money in very specific ways, uh, in, in small amounts to large amounts, 
um, but in an ongoing basis. So it's like, I'm going to help support you in your creation of this art form thing. So uh, we have uh, maybe four or five tiers set up, a venerable patron, a blessed patron, a true Syrophoenician, a patron saint, which is what I would think would be awesome if people did. And then our, my favorite, and this is a Luke original, the CF drinking game, which is if you <laughs> donate $50 or more per month, uh, and one person has already claimed it, and by person we mean Catholic Beard Bomb Company. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Uh, you just you just earned yourself some advertising. Um, it kind of evens out when it, you actually do look at our advertising. It rates. does. It does. It does. Absolutely. But uh, I think we need to raise our rates so we disincentivize people <laughs> from doing that. Hey, I got a thing I want to talk about for seven minutes. So if you donate fifty dollars or more per month. Okay, after your check clears, because, you know, trust but verify. Um, we have... we have Test everything. Hold on to, to the good. <laughs> Balthazard. Luke, you butchered that, but it was so beautiful. Luke, you are a beautiful butcher. Um, <laughs> I don't study theology. I just talk about it. I don't it. study theology. I just read quotes. I just get paid to do it. <laughs> but in this, in this post, it's... Uh, so this is what it is. You get all previous rewards. You get an annual seven-minute interview with you on our podcast, plus collaboration with you on an episode, probably that episode. You get to contribute, and this is the, this is the best one. You get to contribute a rule to the Catching Foxes drinking game. Why should people pay us, pay us money every month? I have literally spent... Over almost $2,000 just in having a <laughs> weekly show so that we can make fart noises with our mouth and drink alcohol and cuss. So, <laughs> thank you. So, we think that for some reason, 15,000 people have downloaded this or subscribed. Well, it's, we have 15,000 downloads a month. I don't know if it's 15,000 people. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Because I make sure I download it on at least 30 computers with the botnet I've enslaved. <laughs> thank you, Russian hackers. But the, the point of it is... We want to help. We want to help you give us money so that we can keep creating this good stuff. We don't want you to pay for our fancy lives. We love the fact that you listen in the first place. And if that's all you want to do or can do, we are totally cool with that. We are humbled by the fact that we actually have fans. But if you want to contribute more, it all goes back into us creating more stuff for you. Exactly. And so it, uh, we've, you know, we've actually been approached by a couple of individuals who've asked us like how can we um we want to give you money and we're like do you have anything to like you want to you want to have like an ad and they're like no i just want to give you money because you're doing good good stuff and i'm like uh, i feel bad so um this is like a way to do that and i think it's really going to continue it's, it's going to help this grow and it's going to uh, help us to devote more more time to it so i'm extremely pumped about yeah. it so here's Here's how this works. It's going to be um, if you pledge or become a Patreon of ours, you are going to be charged on the first of every month. And then what are their options for being for like what can they choose? OK, so venerable patron is two dollars or more a month. And that's you just saying thank you to us. You'll get access to patrons only content and you'll contribute directly to our sense of self-worth. What would be an example of a patron-only content? Uh, well, so within Patreon, you can create stuff like blog posts that only patrons can see. You can do some general stuff. I have a general post up there. But you can do stuff that only patrons can see. 
Um, so, for instance, we can release certain announcements to you guys about um, one very cool project that we're working on. Um, we can make the announcements to you guys so that you guys can hear it here first and respond accordingly. You'll see what we're going to do later. Um, different things like that. If you go to the next tier, $5 to be a blessed patron, uh, we're flattered that you love us, oh, blessed patron. So you get your name mentioned on the show in the month you sign up. So once we ding your card, um, we will uh, we will read your name probably at the end of the show. Makes sense, right? Um, and mm-hmm. then you get our patron Patreon access. So the, the first two are basically like really big thank yous. You know, one, you get on the show. Absolutely. And we are humbled by anything. If people give anything, oh, we're totally. Yeah, I. Like, I think the $2 one is a great way to do it because I'd say we're worth, what, 25 cents an episode? If that. <laughs> so you're, like, still overpaying a little a bit. Little, but, yeah. um, you know, if we have, like, 100 people doing that, that honestly helps the cost of um, hosting and other things because yeah. as the show increases in popularity, so does our cost yeah. for certain things. So yeah. thank you, guys. Then the next tier is $10 or more per month or $10, yeah, per month. One of the things that we're going to do is uh, Luke and I have talked about this once, and then I immediately turned it into a thing. <laughs> uh, we're going to offer, I call them secret reflections on the, the book, The Soul of the Apostolate, which me and Luke have talked about. Luke has spent a little bit more time than I have on it, and I'm... Only a year and a half, you're fine. Right, right, right. And I'm slowly um, actually applying it to my life instead of just reading it. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to do this, and then... Um, there was a fire fight. <laughs> And today, uh, no, right. no, today in honor of uh, the Patreon thing, uh, we made some Catching Foxes stickers. Uh, oh, I'm so excited about the stickers! Yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh, they exist. They exist. I don't know how awesome they are, but they exist. So I'm going to mail you a sticker, physical, uh, digital goods in the beginning. Then it gets more physical, physical, physical. Yeah. Hey, I, I want to get physical. So then. Up next, you have the Patron to Saint, which is a good old $30 a month. With um, with that, you get to contribute a question to 10-minute topics, and I promise you we will answer that because we always get a bunch, and we hardly answer any of them because I don't like it. So I, I promise Luke, you. Luke, wouldn't it be so funny if the question, it's like someone with an axe to grind, just like <laughs> just gets all their friends to contribute, and it's just the angriest, <laughs> most. Uh, and then um, I'm, I'm working on two free, I'm working on two ebooks, um, and if you, just like personal stuff, and and, and then me and Luca apparently are working on a real ebook for the uh, podcast. So free ebooks. When we publish them, we will post them through the wonderful Patreon system, and you can get a copy of that. Uh, and then drinking game. This is my favorite. Luke's tier. We already went through it. Yeah. So that's it. Basically, right now we have eleven patrons with a total of a hundred and three dollars per month. None of them are our mommies or daddies. But anywho, I'm excited about this stuff. Luke, why should why why do you think people should donate? Why should people become a patron? You're not a donator. You're a patron. You're actively supporting what we're doing. Because I think what we're doing here, and this caught us by surprise, it's becoming bigger than just us talking about this stuff. And this gives us an opportunity to kind of take what we're doing and put some weight weight behind it. Uh, it gives us the, the opportunity to... Um, make more stuff happen. And this is not like what this does 
is this is this is the end of of catching foxes being a hobby and the beginning of it becoming this weird community slash conversation that is becoming like so much bigger than just us. And this honestly concretely helps keep it going. One of the things that I heard that I, I like about this as well is it is it makes us obligated to you are like Absolutely. our um, and you are really partnering with us on this. So like from here on out, because people are getting behind this, we won't ever like miss an episode because life got crazy. This gives us again, con concrete reasons to be able to carve out time. Catching foxes to me is, uh, is, uh, is, is about community building to those EWTN has left behind. Like a, like an interesting <laughs> book written by pro rapture theologians. We want to get all the people left behind. <laughs> we want to get all the people who like to read glorified soap operas about wasp Christianity. So looking at you, Kirk Cameron. Really? Looking at you. So <laughs> yeah. Kirk Cameron, donate to Catching Foxes. <laughs> and, and Kirk, you can do that by going to www.patreon.com slash CF. That's P A T. R E O N dot com slash C F. Now we needed to create the transition for the show. Yeah, it's during the day. Internet <laughs> usage tends to be down during the day, right? Right, right. Around this time, yeah, people are now starting to like, you know, do something. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're yeah, done checking true. their email and now they're writing all the TPS reports that they have to do and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Whatever people who like Dork and Ministry do with like, you know, the Henderson report and <laughs> their PowerPoint things. And... Where's the <laughs> Henderson report? <laughs> Cool. So I just realized I thought that you knew Gomer, and I realized that Gomer said that, that you guys actually don't like know each other. So I apologize for acting so casual about this. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Who who is Go- Gomer? So now? I'm I'm Gomer, Mike Gormley. Oh, uh, yeah, got my it. yeah my nickname is Gomer, and I do I do a lot of the Steubenville conferences and the young adult conferences and stuff like that. And uh, but I've uh, our paths have never crossed, and and Luke thought we were chummy. <laughs> Luke I just we that everyone like knows everyone, so I don't. Yeah. Know. <laughs> I don't. Know. And so no, and, uh, I am just. I am somebody where um, I, I and and this is just. I guess maybe because I'm a woman and a mom and a wife, but and I've got three kids under three. But I just I go out there, I do my ministry thing, and then my head's in the sand, and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> who knows who? Oh, do I know you? I met somebody at a conference. Uh, just last week, and I am positive that we've had like conversations and have worked together in ministry. And he's like, "We've never met." And I'm like, "Yes, we have." And he's like, "No, I know who you are. No, we've never." And I'm like, "Right, okay, never mind." I just feel like an idiot. Anyway, so yeah, so it's don't ever feel bad if there's anything like where I don't know something or know some someone. It's just I'm kind of like going crazy and then going back home and dealing with you know Daniel Tiger and Curious George, and so I just yeah. I don't got time for that. 
<laughs> yeah, meanwhile, I'm like the social butterfly. And so whenever I do a student bill conference, I'm like, who wants to hang out with me? <laughs> and, and I'm like trying to, I would sound, uh, we interviewed Ike and Dolo and uh, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was telling him about when he, him and his band did music at Steubenville, Steubenville, Florida. And it was like Emily Wilson and him and a handful of others. And I kept saying how the band is always, to me, like the cool kids' table. And whenever we go out <laughs> afterwards to kind of like, you know, have a drink and talk about the conference and stuff, I'm always like, how can I impress the band so they'll ask me to come over and sit with them? You know, because that's all. And Ike is, Ike is, he, Ike and I are good, good friends. He's good friends with my husband. And what I love about Ike is that he and I are both massive introverts. So the idea of like a cool kids table we were like we were never at that <laughs> we were like i'm going to go and sit in a corner and pretend to be busy so nobody talks to me so then okay so we are both extreme extroverts and as an introvert how do you handle conferences conferences can be so difficult for an introvert and i'm about half introvert half extrovert. So there's a part of me that um, loves being able to share the gospel and the mercy of Christ. And then afterwards, I'm like, I want to get out of here. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's awesome. Because <laughs> that's how I feel about like silence. So that's, like, that's exactly how well, I feel about How you feel quiet. about conferences is how I feel about intimacy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Silence is like gold. It's liquid gold that I would just take on and just, yeah, it's just fantastic. I would take a bath in it. Um, so there's there's obviously a part of me that's very um, extroverted and has to be, and that's definitely yeah. a part of me. So I'm not a hundred percent an introvert. I'm probably I'm probably a good split of like 50 50. And if at most you had to tip the scale, it would be 60 40, 60 extrovert, 40 introvert. And maybe as I gotten older, it's more introvert. But so conferences, it's just my focus on a conference um, is truly uh, how can I convey the love and mercy of Jesus Christ to these souls? I just mm -hmm. want them to have a conversion. I want them to know the love of Christ and to have their have to be able to experience joy and peace like I know it because I know that that will lead them to happiness and to the kingdom. So I want to go and do my best for that. And then after that, do you want a conversion? Do you want to talk about something about your life? And they're like, no. And I'm like, I don't got time for that. You know <laughs> I mean? So the introvert kind of pulls out and I'm That's like, awesome. Oh man, I am like, this is, this isn't fun and games. And I definitely don't do it for like the crowds and everything. Cause if anything, I'm sitting up there being like, Oh dear God, like there's so many people and they're all looking on the stage. And I just want to like tell you about the mercy of Jesus. And I want to go home and I want to take a bath and I want to watch some office and I want to go to bed. <laughs> it's so funny because my experience of, of conference life, like, so I did youth ministry for years. Now I do adult faith formation and evangelization and stuff. But I did youth ministry for years. And so everything that I do, you know, it's all about, like, winning over the eye-rolling teenager. And, uh, and so I just am so, like, after I give a talk and do the thing and then I'm down in front of the stage or, or you're hanging out, I, I just find myself wandering over to the, um, you know, the bookstore, uh, you know, and, and talking with all the people there and, just having conversation, I, like I, I like need that, and it's so funny when I do ministry with people who are, who are introverts, and they're like, I just gotta go back to my hotel room for like, for like an hour. I just gotta get my stuff together, and I'm like, that sounds like that's horrible. Like, I don't, I can't. <laughs> See, and praise be to God that there's such a difference of people. Like, yeah. I'm so happy there are people out there <laughs> like you who are like, I want to go to the bookstore. I mean, the bookstore is purgatory for me. <laughs> I would never into, I would never into the swarm of 
you know, pre-pubescent teens into that room. There are like 1,200 of them, and they're all wanting they all to smell buy, terrible. Like, yeah, it's not a middle school conference, Luke. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, it's just, it's just well, you never know. Yeah, I mean, maturity levels. body spray loads. everywhere. Exactly. Oh gosh, no, but yeah, I just um, I just need quiet time. Like I, I'm okay being quiet around people if they're okay being quiet, but um. Like, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just, it all works out. Every, you know, we all have our special <laughs> gifts and talents. We're all snowflakes in the Lord's eyes. My <laughs> wife, God. my wife, I was talking with her and uh, my wife is an introvert and, uh, but she was a youth minister. So she had to have that extrovertedness, but it would take so much out of her. And the other day we were talking and I was like, honey, I, I feel like you need to, you know, spend some more time with your, with your friends. You know, I'll stay home with the kids. I got four kids, six and under and. So I was like, you got to, you know, go out. And she's like, are you kidding me? I had three play dates this week. I am tapped out with humans. And I was like, oh, oh, because I, I just want to go to the bar with some buddies now. And, and I saw them yesterday. Like, I just, <laughs> we are so different in terms of that. She's like, I just need to be yeah. alone. And I was like, I just need to be not alone. Yeah, my my husband and I have are very different personalities. And, um, you know, it's just different. And here's another thing. Like, I think personalities just take on something different in different arenas. So in ministry work, um, obviously on stage, like I pull out that outgoing piece of me and it's clearly there. I know it's a gift and talent that I have to be extroverted and to be very sanguine. I have that. It's not that I'm, it's a small part of me. It's definitely there. And I definitely use that to the benefit of the message I'm trying to convey. But then it's like, I come home and then I'm more, it's just very different. And my husband, he's super like, we're just so opposite. Like he doesn't have a drop of sanguine in that body uh, to save his life, you know? Like he, and he's in the army. So he always has like this look on his face where he's, he, he, he just looks like he might kill you, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> That's his love language. And so you're just kind of like, sorry, right. I mean, I remember so many times I'm like, Ricky, we're, we are, we're getting ready to go into this, you know, party, whatever it is. It's like, you got to smile. You got to try and smile because people think you're going to hurt them. Like you don't. <laughs> look very friendly he's like i'm trying so hard i'm like try harder ricky (laughs) that's not a smile that's a grimace (laughs) i'm just looking for the exits (laughs) yeah yeah well if if you um, it's not like if if you if you've met ike um uh and you know you that's how they ike and ricky get along so well and they are very similar in their personalities and all they want to talk about is like the end of the world and how to prepare and zombie (laughs) so Thankfully, there are people in ministry who um, can relate to him, and I like bringing him along because he kind of gives another bit of flavor to the work. Nice, nice. That's awesome. Do you find being a mom and a wife and all that good stuff that your career as a traveling speaker and pilgrimage leader is exhausting? Is it? Do you, how are you finding a balance doing all this stuff? I think I'm always looking to check the balance and to recalibrate every day. I was given great advice by a friend of mine named Matt Smith, um, and he has done ministry for a very boo long time. Boo, Matt Smith. Boo him. <laughs> and Matt. All, uh, you, all you reality show people need to stick, stick together, right? We do. We have a support group every Tuesday. Um and so Matt told, told me, I was hanging out with him and his wife, and we were talking just about kids and, like, what to do. And we were, I don't know where we were. We might have been adding, we might have already had one, adding in a second one before we had our, our three that we have now. And he had just said one word, 
recalibrate. And he's like, always be willing to recalibrate whatever it is. Take it, take, you know, stock of, of take inventory of the moment and just constantly recalibrate. And so I think with ministry, that's what I, I'm doing after every event. Um, I have to recalibrate and be like, and I pray like, Lord, do you still want me to do this? And if you do, how do you want me to do this so that I don't take away from my vocation as wife and mother, um, you know, to, 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 to be on the road because the worst fear I have right now, um, is for my kids to grow up and say to me, mom, you loved everybody else and cared for their souls more than you cared for mine. Yeah. And that's like, I don't want that conversation. I want my children to know that they are more important than any conference, than any thousands of people grouped together in some stadium to hear a talk. Like that's nothing compared as long as Agnes, Ambrose and Violet can look at me and say that we know that we have been loved by our mother and that she has shown us the way that we can love Christ more and love others through him. So I think it's just always keeping that present and then just praying. Just I just pray my butt off. I'm just constantly praying, be like, oh, Lord, guide me, like redirect me, put roadblocks where they need to be. If I'm going in the wrong direction, um, redirect me and just keep me always like, you know, praying and thinking about his will. So it's just constant recalibration, just recalibrate every single time of like if something works or if it d- doesn't work. And I obviously don't work with organizations or groups that are not um, friendly or somewhat accommodating to the fact that I am a mother and that I am still called to ministry. So if someone's just not okay with me bringing my baby or not going to help me make arrangements with someone to help hold, hold my baby, then I just pass. I'm like, nope, sorry, that's just not for me then. Right. I think what you're looking for is a man and you can, there's plenty out there. How often does that happen? Very rarely. Okay. Very, very rarely. It, it, there's, there's only been a very, very few times where I already accepted an invitation. I was already in a city. And after the event, um, and shockingly, it was a group of women, too, which, which just blows my mind. Um, but they had they, – they took issue with the fact that I um, – was bringing my baby and then the whole conditions around the talk. And there are some silly things that they were bringing up that were really, um, pretty sad. Actually, I was just, I felt sad for them that they would even say or think these things. I'm like, you know, I'm just, I don't say this lightly and I'm not trying to be, you know, um, flipping about it, but like, I was like, I'm just going to pray for you. Like for you to get to a point where you would say that to a mom, like, I, there must be some other issues. So it's, it's happened very rarely that people have been not willing to work with working mothers. And there's conferences that are starting to like, um, adapt to that. The Steubenville conferences, um, especially, you know, recently, a lot of their female speakers, myself, Jackie Francois, Sarah Swafford, you know, we're having babies (laughs) and we were, and we were, Mm -hmm. we've been speaking with them prior to all those years before we were married. And then, you know, and all, and now there's babies involved and they, and they're adapting and changing their things to allow us to still participate, um, as moms in, in this type of work. So that's, what's wonderful. It's wonderful to see conferences, um, still valuing women in ministry and allowing us to, um, honor our vocation as wife and mother, but still, uh, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's cool. Cause I, I do think that there's this problem and this is just part of being a person where, um, I think in, so I've, so the, bulk of my experience is actually in Catholic education in in 
as a principal or just other roles in admin. And I, and I really just recently got into ministry and I've experienced this on both parts where there's this temptation to demand too much out of people because of the mission, you know, and you really hurt their own vocation, whether it's, you know, time, like time with your family, or if you really like aren't married, well, you have all the time in the world, like trying to buy like, like you still have to date. You still have to like have a life and like have, uh, community and stuff. And I think it's really, I'm, I think it's great that, um, that people like, uh, over at the student conferences are honoring your vocation as, as a mother who's called to do ministry. That is, that is really cool. And for things that people, for what a lot of people may not know is one of the great things about the student conference is you come and do ministry as a team and they are adamant about the team dynamic like you're not just there to walk on stage give your two talks and then walk off you are there as a team and so you could tell that culturally they've had a struggle with trying to integrate you know moms you know like i did three conferences with jackie and she had to bring her husband bobby along so that he could care for their kids because she's still nursing you know and uh having all that stuff going on you know at the same time like there is a struggle with that like how do you balance it how do, you, how do you even pay for this stuff? Because they want you to focus. So I remember my first email conference. I'm like, cool, it's one right by my house. I'll bring my family. And they're like, we don't really want you to. And I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know what to do now. So um, we've had, you know, it is, a, it is a struggle because I do conferences where it is all just individual speakers. And Steubenville is not like that, which I really appreciate. You are a team. Yeah, there time. is a great team aspect to it. And we have to be flexible within that team aspect right. to also honor each person's vocation, especially for there's just a different role, as we know, between moms and dads when it comes to kids. And so, um, <laughs> so you know, with like, you know, Jackie and I have talked about this before when it comes to your babies that are still nursing and having you to be there, um, like the requirements in terms of like, we have to be at the team and, and do everything with the team at this exact moment, always be there and always be present. Well, there's another human on, you know, who's a part of my team. And that person doesn't have the same eating schedule as the team dinners and lunches and everything else. And so there's, and, and so I'm just very thankful that I think we're coming to a place of more flexibility in, yeah. in those different types of conferences where we can still promote and, and minister out of the team. Um, but keep the flexibility because Christ has called all of us to minister and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in one way or another. And women who are called in this specific way um, to be, evangelist and to proclaim the gospel, we shouldn't be taking away from <laughs> uh, their vocation as well, just because the dynamics of just being a w yeah. woman, you know, so it, it, it's great. It's great to see um, conferences like Steubenville take steps to really incorporate women in ministry and honor them in that way. Luke, uh, you said something that reminded me of a past experience. Uh, there was this will not be named organization that I did work for. And, uh, one of the my criticisms every year that I would work with them was, you are killing your volunteers. Like you, yeah, you have prayer time and silent time and stuff like that, but you are running them ragged, twelve to sixteen hours a day, and you think you can do it just because they're young adults. Like you're you're killing them. And every single year, you know, after like week three, these people are just dead, and they still have the same grueling pace going forward. And you're like, 
you know, we do have to, we, we can't wring people out like a rag where we can get every last drop of grace that they can get for us and, or milk them dry. Like that. I, I feel like we often have this tendency to do that to people like, well, I'm paying for you. You're here. So dance, mm, mon- mm, dance, mm. monkey dance. And it's like, mm. well, you know, not, no, no, not so no, much. no. That's that's that that's when you walk out. That's no. Yeah, well, I'll no tell you way. this much. That is parish life in so many ways. I'm lucky yep. because I have a boss who understands, and you know, she she'll tell you like she had to make so many sacrifices getting youth ministry up and running, but she understands like you need family time, you need prayer time, you need this stuff. But it is so easy because no one else is really looking for that. If you don't say I need to, you know, I've just did a weekend retreat. I'm not going to do you know, X, Y, and Z the day I get back. Um, and dioceses should have policies around this for parish employees. And some of them I find are very exploitative. Like they don't care. They're just gonna, well, it, you know, you can't really do it that way. And it's like, no, you don't understand. I need time from you know, my family just because I'm a young adult doesn't mean you can rob me of all my time. And so, yeah, that's huge. Um, I wanted to take it on a slightly different, different note. Uh, you grew up, me and you have at least one thing in common, uh, which is Oklahoma, the land of, of beautiful Oklahoma. Um, yeah. Now, you were, you were, but where in Oklahoma were you born or raised or you know, whatever, spent the first part of your life? Norman, Oklahoma. Norman. <laughs> okay, but you were raised out of, sorry, I was, I was from Tulsa, so we always make fun of every other part. Um, were you, you were raised on a farm, right? I was. I was raised on a farm. Yeah, we lived on, uh, we had within our family about 325 acres. We raised um, cattle and just for, you know, just like buying and selling them. Uh, Yeah, and we had all different types of animals and chickens at one time, pigs at one time. Yeah, I was raised on a legit farm. Did you you kill any animals? I personally didn't kill any, any any animals. I watched the cows go on a trailer and not come back. You know, what I mean, <laughs> thanks a lot, cows. <laughs> oh, and then I, uh, let's, our, our... the cows weren't butchered; they just had to get out. <laughs> They're like Norman. This place is horrible. No way, no way. You could hear the you could hear the 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 cheers from the stadium at the University of Oklahoma from our house on Saturday afternoons. It was fantastic. That, was awesome. that is cool. That is cool. Awesome, awesome upbringing. But yeah, it was great. Um, our our chicken coop did burn down, so I guess I did witness oh, some, <laughs> witness some chickens die. It just caught on fire, and then everything just went up. And see, Luke, I've been telling you this for years, man. I've been telling you this for years. Don't let your chickens smoke when they're in bed. Maybe you don't do that. It's terrible. How did it catch fire? What were they? What was going on? Well, we um, so we lived really far out in um, Norman, so there wasn't any service for us to like. Uh, burn like to like take our trash like there was no garbage man who would come out that far so we had to burn our own trash huh. and um so every day or not every day but like every four or five days whatever we would put the um our trash into these barrels and then we light them on fire and that's how we took care of our trash and so we burned mm-hmm. our trash and then we you know dumped them with the tractor into this like ravine that we made for it anyway so um one day, as you know, in Oklahoma, it gets really windy. Like the fire just kind of blew on over, over to the chicken house and uh, <laughs> oh, got wow. on fire. And by the time my mother called the fire department, um, it was already to the ground because like we yeah, lived so wow. far out. They were like, they just couldn't get there fast yeah. enough. And so anyway, uh, yeah, that's kind of what happened. The silence so I, of the chickens. Okay. I, I spent uh, two years in Idaho in a farm town. 
and I grew up in Ohio in the suburbs. So it was like a really crazy experience for me. I mean, it was like a world that I haven't ever experienced. And I kind of found that like being out there in that kind of a culture is fantastic. And I don't think the majority of a, of Americans really understand like how great like farm culture is, if that makes sense. Nope. Uh, it completely does. I am so thankful for the opportunity that I had to uh, sit in silence. And, you know, I was never bored in, in, in that sense where people, kids today, um, kids today, gosh, I sound so old, but kids, kids today. today. With their rap um, music but, and their fast cars. Uh, I know. VH1s. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, they, but they're that, there's that constant comment that I always hear, like they're, they're bored. I'm just thinking, how can you be like life is amazing. And so growing up mm-hmm. on the farm and also just with my prayer life, and I had parents who, you know, um, raised us in the Catholic faith and were really intentional about praying and talking about Jesus. And so that, that those simple things of just praying before meals and praying the rosary every night, um, really spoke to me and where I lived gave me time to pray on my own in the silence of just being on a farm. And I was, my best friends were my brothers and sisters. And so I'm the oldest of six kids. And I remember very vividly many times being out and wandering in the, in, in, in the fields and talking to God and just Hmm. having a conversation. And I don't, I mean, I don't think it's, maybe it is strange, but I don't think it's that strange. If you give kids the opportunity and the time and the space for those things to happen, I think that they will. And so I just remember many conversations that I had with God and I would really talk to him and I would sing and I was just a little girl, you know, and it was great. And I really appreciate that my parents um, sacrificed a lot of things to offer us that opportunity to grow up in a place where I got to know who I was and I got to spend time um, in nature and just hang out with my brothers and sisters. Now, let me ask you a question about being out in the on the farm. When you were young, so you moved away when you were like 14, 15 years old. When you uh, were on the farm, how far would you let, would your parents let you wander? Well, that would never be a question. So the question would be, come home for dinner. Right. Right. So, so it was, mm. it wasn't like, it wasn't like you can only go. I mean, I guess there might've been like one piece of tractor equipment that might, that they didn't want us to touch. So it was like, don't touch the thing with the sharp blades, but <laughs> don't go inside um, the combine. Yeah. Yeah. But like everything else was just like, Hey, I mean, it's my, my, I mean, my parents never asked that question. We, we didn't have any neighbors. I mean, like the closest neighbor was at least probably 10 miles, 12 miles away closest. So we just roamed. And then when it kind of started getting a little dark, like, a, like the sun was starting to go down, we just figured out, okay, we probably should go back in because mom's going to have dinner. And that was just it. We just were out. And my mom constantly was like, get out of the house. And she would just throw us out and probably <laughs> would lock the door and we would just figure it out. We and how, just... how old are you at this time? Like I mean, all, your I, whole everything, like five, every, six years everything. old. Yeah, yeah. I I remember it. I remember doing this like being being around seven, and then I remember all the way until until we moved. I mean, yeah. my brothers and sisters would climb trees, and it was awesome. I mean, during certain times of the year when fruit trees would grow, my mom would give us like this big bag and be like, "Here, go pick some apples, and I'll ma- I'll make you a pie tonight." And so it was great. It was just like, okay, <laughs> that's awesome. we'll do it because we loved a- a- apple pie. So I mean, just it was very simple. It was awesome. It was wonderful. Yeah. 
I, when I lived in Broken Arrow, in a suburban place, I totally, that's what it was like. Like, my mom would be like, go out until the streetlights come on. And we would be out, and we had, like, a forested area and a couple creeks, but it was suburbs. It was just, like, like really, it was not a creek, but a runoff from the neighborhood. But we would play there for hours and hours and hours, and we'd come home. And I would do that since I was, like, five or six years old. My brothers would do it, all that stuff. And I think about today. Now, my follow-up question is, now, I guess you only have, your oldest is almost three, so it's kind of a moot point right now, but do you feel like you're going to be helicopter mom? Like, I never thought I'd be helicopter dad, but you should see me at Halloween. I'm like, where are my kids? Kateri, get over here. Oh, my gosh. I can't see you at all times, right? I freak out. And I realize, like, there's this great line from a book I just read. Um, he says, the, the measure of liberty in your life today is how far you're, allow- how far you're willing to let your kids go from your sight. Meaning, like, if you live in a, a horrible environment where you don't know anyone in your neighborhood, you're not going to let them go far because you don't trust anyone. And I realized, like, yeah, the le- measure of liberty is not if I can wear, you know, lipstick as a man to work. It's, it's like the level of freedom and comfort I feel in my own neighborhood with my kids just letting them loose. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a sign of the times, too. Uh, so, I mean, I think that that's important. It's not like we're in the exact same situation. And then, um, and I granted there probably were some helicopter moms back in like sixties and seventies or whatever, but I was born in 79. So I kind of was on that cusp of the end of that era, but I'm sure they were there in the eighties too, but it was, it, it was just, things were different. And um, there's been a drastic change in terms of visible evil in the world and the terrible things that can happen and you want to protect and keep, you know, from harm your, your kids. So it's also, you know, some of those, sometimes you have control over some of those choices of where you live and sometimes you don't. We happen to, my husband and I have have purposely chosen to live in a location in St. Louis outside of the city, far away to where we can have a couple acres of land. And that, um, now granted, I won't just say, Hey, of course, as you you mentioned, my, my kids are three, two and nine months old. I'm not gonna be like, Hey, go figure it out and then come back in. (laughs) But, um, a knife go do something with that (laughs) (laughs) oh and uh uh, like here's like a flame torch too have fun (laughs) (laughs) and some duct tape in case anything happens (laughs) in case you break your arm here's some duct tape (laughs) the nice flame torch and some duct tape we're good to go (laughs) that's how i was raised on the farm (laughs) now you know why the chicken coop burned down (laughs) i had that and alf so i was fine that and alf Yeah. So, you know, you just, you have to make do with what you got, but I think it makes perfect sense for people to be more um, aware and concerned with what's going on with their kids. Um, And you should be, we should be, but hopefully we can create opportunities to allow our kids to have that liberty and freedom to, um, to explore and to have adventures in life and to kind of push the boundaries of their comfort level in some, in some, in some ways or some places. Um, And there's ways you can do that. Even even if you're living in suburbia or you're living in the city or living in a place with high crime, whatever that might be. Yeah. Do you, uh, you ever read, every time I talk to a Catholic who either lived on or does live on a farm or has a couple acres or whatever, do you ever read Wendell Berry? Does that name sound familiar? I think you'd like no. Wendell Berry. Okay, just wondering, just wondering. He's a very, um, he's a farmer, a Kentucky farmer slash philosopher slash author, and he writes a lot about, um, you know, 98% of American farms are corporation farms, and uh, 
that that really is a bad thing that happened in our country. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, it is. We've lost, and, and I'm not just talking about good old fashioned family values, uh, whatever that means to different people. It really, it really is crippling America that we don't even understand anything about the earth, the food, the land that we live on, the the shape of our landscape, and we just keep bloating into these suburban, isolated, you know, homes where we don't know anyone. And you see all of this, uh, a complete lack of care and concern about, not just about the environment, but about the local, right? Like the local farmer, the local this, the local that. That used to sustain America's change because we're not just urban or cosmopolitan or whatever. Like there's plenty of of good things that can come in in the city. And I'm not disparaging the city for this fake idyllic farm life. But what we've lost is we're no longer rooted. We don't have roots anywhere. And I see this so much like, like when... You know, I, I I watched your interview with Marcus Grota on the Coming Home Network, and you made the comment that moving from Oklahoma to St. Louis at that time in your life was was probably a bad thing because you had the Catholic family, the a good strong Catholic identity. People knew you as that, or your family as that. And then in St. Louis, it was a different story. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and the first thing I thought of is like this notion of of being rooted. Like if job opportunities come up and you can say no, like I know some people who have are out of work, you just got to say yes to what comes your way. But if you can say no, if it's like I feel like we owe a debt to our community that even turning down jobs makes sense because I I, ha- I owe my neighbors something. I don't think we ever factor that in our economic analysis. You know, like it's not just like oh, it's going to be tough on the children. It is going to be tough on the children because they have roots here, and we're going to uproot them, and and that kills roots. That that wounds something. We lose something in that. So, I don't know. I, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. Yeah, no. I mean, it make it makes perfect sense. I mean, I know in my personal situation, in terms of moving from Oklahoma to St. Louis, um, like you said, we were one of those that didn't have a choice. My dad's job was transferring, and it was either transfer to St. Louis or you don't have a job. And so we had, you know, my mom and dad at that point had five kids. We had one more surprise, or not surprise, but one more fantastic addition coming later on in terms of our family size. Yeah. But um, so we had to, and there are ways to make that smooth, make that transition smooth. Um, and, and it's just, it was very difficult being uprooted. I was definitely, we, we were completely rooted in Oklahoma. My whole, all my family was there. My grandparents, my 34 first cousins on just one side of my family, oh, wow. um, very large family. And so when people know you and when you are known, it helps you remember who you are and whose you are. And the expectations for behavior and treating one another, um, the bar rises, actually, because you're like, hey, listen, people are watching people who I know, people who I love. Someone's going to tell someone if I act mm-hmm. out of line. And there's something beautiful about that in terms of like um, being our brother's keeper as well. And then, as you mentioned, with just the um, responsibility we have to our neighbors, too, and how all of it even affects us um, being rooted um, on an economic level. I mean, absolutely. I know that uh, one of the kind of related and kind of taking a different turn, but I was just reading about uh, in Europe, they the, the fast food craze unfortunately has hit Western Europe and it's created a huge problem in terms of community, yeah. not just mm-hmm. money, but community. And so many parts of, of Western Europe are, have been instituting this, um, this, this new thing called uh, the, called, uh, what was it called? I guess out of the fast food, it's called like slow food or something like that. I can't remember the name. I'm sorry. It just left me. But, uh, it's this idea that like 
they're going to slow down the process instead of like just eating and leave leaving, but they're going to purposely buy local, serve you local food. And then that you would have these entrees and these dinners that you could um, engage with the people that you're with and to kind of fight this fast food movement. And that's kind of hitting across all different spectrums. I mean, it's here in the, it's, it's in the food industry. Um, it's even in the fashion industry in terms of ethical fashion. Um, and, uh, I'm I'm currently writing a book and I talk about this in one of the chapters about ethical fashion, how it really is 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 a truly a human dignity issue and concern. Like you wear these clothes, but do you know who made them and at what price? Not just money, but the price of their time and what they're getting paid, because money of this stuff is done in locations and places that you would never even want to step in yourself. Um places where they're in dilapidated buildings and they come crushing down and kill people. And all of this kind of stems back to this idea of greed, which I think is kind of really what we started the conversation before, even if we didn't say it, but you know, the greed of just, we have to have so much, you know, and we think that we need more and more. So it ends up actually separating us and isolating us from our neighbors and from our family members. And so that it kind of creates a space where we're not really connected to one another to begin with. Uh, Um, I read this really great article on, I think it was Henry David Thoreau, and it basically talked about how he gets misinterpreted a lot as saying, like, go and explore the entire world to really be alive. But what he was really talking about was go and explore your backyard, like go and invest in the relationships and the people that are around you and really take 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 the time to uh contemplate like what does your marriage mean how profound is that like relationship or like how great is your relationship with your own kids or you know how bad is it at the point in time but how has it helped you and and I, I i i do think that we're so addicted to i need these outside things to really um make me happy as opposed to trying to uh explore like what's 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 around me right now and why is that important or how can it be more important to my to my like you know everyday life so because so for um example me and my wife don't have any kids yet but like we so it's a little bit easier for us to like eat and just watch tv Gotta yeah, like it is. hang out. You know, it's it's really easy. You can go listen let me tell you something. You have no idea the things that are easy right now for you. Let me <laughs> tell you. Go into oh, yeah. the bathroom. Go into yep. the bathroom. <laughs> I love pooping with an audience. What are you talking about? <laughs> you can do that alone. That's what a treasure yeah. that is. <laughs> I, I, I mean I, I went to a concert the other the like other night and I just had this thought of most men my age can't go to a rock concert by themselves because their wife just wants to hang out and watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. You know, like, that's exactly what I did. I went to a rock concert like I was 14 and it was great. <laughs> and so um, but like you do like it's 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 so easy to just like skip over like and so, well. One of the things that we've like stopped, we've like uh, the we, so like we've had to make time to say this is what we're gonna do together because like if because like if not it, it I've, I I I have found that it does not just happen like we have to choose to spend time together even though it's just us yeah or if not it's no just yeah so you easy. do you do because it doesn't matter I tell you something the devil's gonna work no matter what. W- 
whatever God gives you, the devil will try to work with that. So um, the time and space in a relationship or marriage before kids, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, the devil's still going to work on that. He's going to try to keep you busy, keep keep you doing something to keep you from fostering that relationship. Um, and then especially when kids come into play because of the awesome and beautiful stresses that, that, that being parents can, and obviously bring, I mean, you know, the devil likes to work in there too. He wants to break up that and break up and, and create um, and pit one person against the other and make them an enemy of each other. Because if he does that, and if there's kids involved, and even if there's not, that affects generations of people and, it, you know, and, and everything. So you, I think it's always keeping in mind of like where we're at in our spiritual lives and where we're at in terms of like, why, why, why is a relationship important then? Like, why is, is it just good just for in and of itself? Because that shouldn't be the case. It should be that we're creating time and spending time in the relationships and in the vocation that God has brought us to, because we want to give glory to God, because we want to make sure that we are keeping and we're nurturing this path to holiness that he has called us to, because if it's marriage, then it's marriage. And it's that one person that will help you get to heaven. And there's a reason why we want to, you know, cultivate and keep those relationships sound and always working. One of the things that, uh, you know, when you mentioned the whole slow, slow movement, it used to be the the stat was Americans spend an hour and a half on food a day and Europeans spend two and a half hours. And whenever, um, you know, I started a small group ministry here at our church that Luke hates, and uh, we, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, and uh, It's the videos that I can't stand. <laughs> they're perfect. Go on. Um, uh, the, uh, so, like, the idea of building community. Like, they're not discipleship groups or community groups because I believe we do not have a, a culture of community among Christian disciples uh, to even begin discipleship. And so looking at a lot of stuff, they said um, one of the biggest – breakdowns of community besides suburbanization and the inter, uh, interstate highway system that made it possible is in America because in, in Europe they have trains that take you where our interstate takes us. And we don't really have a culture of taking the train unless you're in the super dense northeast. So for many people, fast food culture grew up as stops along the way. And in America, that the stops along the way then became the suburban restaurant, then became, you know, now it's in urban environments, suburban environments, as well as on the, on the routes. And the notion that if you can't sit down and have a meal with other people, and th- that's where, that is, the, that is the, the Eucharist of the domestic church, is the table, right? We don't, you know, you might have a family altar where you pray at, but the, where people, that's why the kitchen is the most important part of the home. And it always will be, and it always has been. But when we treat our homes like hotels, and we treat the kitchen as just a stopping point where our keys are thrown and not a place where meals can happen, this fast food culture, you know, Jim Gaffigan has a bunch of funny quotes like where he talks about, like, our politics is McDonald's, everything's McDonald's. But if we don't slow down, I mean, like, we're, you start to see this lack of slowing down affecting everything. And in Luke, um, uh, what was episode 39, me and Luke talked about this quote from Archbishop Chaput, which... Uh, is a quote from a sociologist named Zygmunt Bauman, who says, uh, the quote from Chapu is, the difference between production and consumption, is a sociologist, Zygmunt Bauman, I always have to say it with a Schwarzenegger-esque, uh, caused the gulf between solid and liquid modern life. Older solid societies based, their production, based on production find their security in ownership, delayed gratification, and rational organization. They seek methodological progress, and they put a high value on durable goods. Liquid consumer-based societies creatures of the tech revolution, its rapid rate of change, feed on, quote, incessant new beginnings and experiment, uh, experiences. And to speak to that, in the fashion industry, 
we have fast fashion where everything is dictated from the magazines to the fashion shows and all that stuff is built on constantly changing at a high rate so that what was new and hip and cool today is literally outdated in two or three months or absolutely or you dress for a very specific season and and all of that feeds a hyper consumerism where we literally have closets full of clothes you can stare at it and say i have nothing to wear you have plenty to wear but you're you're afraid that you're going to look out of trend or out of touch or whatever how do you um, how do you push back against that when it comes um, to fashion? For me personally, I mean, you have to start with yourself. And it sounds so easy. Like we want to mm-hmm. stand up and take action and like tell the world something. But go into your closet and figure out what the heck is going on. Because especially, you know, for women, there there is this fast fashion craze. And so I think you already had touched on it briefly. It used to be with fashion in terms of like how it was uh, – the advice, I guess, from the fashion experts in in the fashion world, they would have these fashion runway shows and there would be four a year to correspond with the seasons, which makes sense. Like, you know, you wear something different in summer and then spring and then winter and fall because of the weather usually is changing depending on where you're at in the world. So you would have these different types of shows and they would show you maybe what's in style and everything like that. But there was four seasons. Now what they're doing is that now there is a season of clothes every week. So there are 52 Mm. seasons of clothes and you'll notice this H&M is one of the biggest, biggest um, proponents of fast fashion, which is not good. It's not great. And if you look at H&M's factories and where they make clothes and the conditions and the workers, you would never buy them again. I do not. I will not. They're just one of a group of people. I, I refuse to. And I know it's cheap and I know you can get something really, really great for just literally a couple bucks, but I won't do it because in the name of human dignity, because I am pro life, I will not do that. I yeah. will not put my money and give my money to that when I when, when you can look at what's really going on and the cost of fashion. Um, and there's a, uh, a documentary on Netflix um, that you can look at about this. And um, and so anyways, but the, but the problem is, is that we have this this thing, this fast fashion that goes on 52 weeks, you know, um, and so there's something new every week. You can walk into these stores That's and you'll crazy. see everything redone and you'll be like, oh, so whatever you bought la- last week is not in. So you're constantly chasing a carrot that you're never going to get. And the reality is that um, there's usually a standard style that most people like an individual probably caters to and and also at different times of your life and for a woman at different sizes of your body especially if you have kids i mean like things man things change all right and there are parts of your body that will not be in the same location anymore (laughs) and they'll be in a different spot (laughs) the facts of life (laughs) just trust me on this one so i mean the whole point is is like i guess getting back to like what you can do personally i looked at two i I looked in my closet and for me one of the things that i did and it scared the crap out of me when i did it um which just shows you how ridiculous i was but i did this um closet challenge i did it with my friend sarah kroger and we did a closet challenge you can find it on my blog if if, uh, on my website if you're interested but uh, for for 30 days I only wore seven items of clothing. I picked so you out did the, you did items. the seven from uh, uh, Jen Hatmaker approach. You ever heard of that? No, the I Jen, didn't. She, she the book seven. Uh, she did seven months and did seven different experiments against excess. And one of those months was you pick seven articles of clothing for thirty days, and it comes from that book, which is a lot of a lot. That book was really eye opening for me and my wife, and 
we did. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't know about that book. So we just picked seven because there's seven days in a week and maybe that's why she chose to, I don't, I don't, I didn't know, but yeah, so we, we did the same thing and, um, just experiencing that type of, uh, kind of like, a that fashion fast, a fast from fashion, um, really opened up my eyes to like, okay, so let's figure out what's going on and why, and I should be, um, buying better, like buying ethically made clothing. Um, I should be buying better. I should be buying less and I should be happy with what I have. Interesting. And the, the, we want to, the, I just want to throw this one comment out there. The reason why H and M will always use terrible labor practices and every company that's like them is because they need the speed to churn out, you know, they need mass factory systems to churn out clothing in order to keep up with the demand of an ever-changing trend. But at the same time, they need to make it cheap enough that they need to use exploited practices of workers. Whereas if you were to buy sustainable, durable clothing that is, quote-unquote, timeless, you know, good quality stuff, then you could have work. It would it would cost more. It would last longer, and workers could be paid more. Absolutely. And the, and the fact mm-hmm. that and we we so it's like this is where you think about structures of sin, right? You have a consumerist mentality. You have a company who will use every because now they are locked in on the model of well, we have to do new and new and new and new and new and. We can make even more money if we get the kids to buy. And now they're a global brand, and they're everywhere. And the whole thing is what will drive growth and growth and growth. Because everything is moving so fast, we ha- I mean, it, it's sad, but we have to, you know, companies, like, they, they're now on a, It's like a track. Like, they can't get off the train tracks. And it's, yeah. i got to get growth, and we got to show growth, and we got to show our stockholders mm-hmm. we have growth. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to shame people who aren't fashionable, and we're going to make fun of their closets, and we're going to do this and do that. And, and we got to, you know, and, and so it will, it will always be poor labor practices when everything is at the speed. Yeah. It, it will always be until we tell them not to. They, um, it's H and M reminds me of reality TV. Reality TV exists because we want it to. It's it's mm-hmm. there. It's all based on ratings. And if you watch it, you're giving a rating to that show, and they calculate all of that, and they say, okay, there's enough viewerships, and then they sell ads for the commercials and blah blah blah. It's how they make money. So we. Reality TV exists because we want it to, and we are entertained by human brokenness because we want to, and this is what's going on. And so on a parallel side with the fashion, these companies like H&M and and companies that do poor practices and and treat people poorly so they can churn out all the clothes for us to wear, um, they exist because we want them to. And so until each person has their own change of heart and realizes that we are connected and we are one human family and we affect one another, um, it's not going to stop. You're right. But it will and it can if we each take our own role in that, Um, because then if there's no place for fast fashion, then they're going to have to change up something because, of course, their motive is greed and money. And so I know for me personally, that's just what I've done. I just I, I refuse to buy from any I refuse to buy any clothes unless I know exactly like who made it and where is it made and how is the so I per I, I seek out ethically made clothing companies and they're usually all online and I I purchase those um, and I do purchase much less and it's fantastic my husband is super happy about this. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I do theology of the body, I always have this one thing at the end where I say, and to really to put this in practice today, chastity, all that stuff is great. Go into your closet. If your closet is full from left to right, 
where to the point where you can take a shirt off the hanger, it falls off the hanger, and it doesn't fall to the ground because it's, it's stuck in the closet, wedged behind very tightly packed clothes. Uh, or you take a shirt off or a, you know an, an article off, and it still has the price tag, and you've never worn it, and you've had it for like a year. You're doing life wrong. You need to empty. You need to reduce your closet by fifty percent. And I've had women uh, who are like you know eye rolling or ah, and then they've gone and done it. Uh, this one woman whose walk-in closet is the size of my master bedroom, and she emptied out more than fifty percent, and she said, "I've never been more at peace in my entire yes. life." Yes, so. it creates clutter. It's it literally it creates clutter in our life, not just physical clutter, but spiritual clutter. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. keeping us from like what you wear should be the easiest decision that you make a day. And life is rough and it can be really <laughs> tough sometimes. Yeah. And I'm telling you something, if you're worried about you got nothing to wear and you're staring at a closet full of clothes, then you have got some things out of order in your life. And and that's okay. But it's 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 yeah. an easy fix, Luke, and that's what's mm-hmm. awesome about it. Yeah, Luke, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Oh no no no, fine. No. So uh, we only have like five minutes left here, but one thing that I just kind of wanted to get your take on is probably about like five years ago or or so, I started to like get into male fashion. Ooh. Which like, if you were to look at me, you'd be like, wait, what? And it's like <laughs> this like slow kind of thing, and. I kind of think that there's a lot of Catholic men out there who just are like really bummed out about their life for like, like, you know, like a whole bunch of reasons. And I think one thing that could kind of help is if some guys started to care a little, like a little bit more about like how they look, what they like wear, having their clothes tailored to fit them, having things that match. Like, do you think, am like, I crazy for thinking that? I don't think you're crazy. Yeah. I think that though what you're saying, I think that's across the board and not just for guys. I think mm-hmm. that um you know when when we realize that what we wear sends a message Regardless if you agree with the message or not, but fashion communicates a message to the world about something about you. Something. Mm-hmm. And so what we wear does say something and it communicates. So if we're wearing just, you know, who cares, sloppy clothes and it, whatever, it communicates maybe, hey, maybe you've had a bad day or maybe you don't have a place to sleep tonight or I don't know. Like it could communicate a lot of different things about us. So I think that we should be uh, we, we should take into account guys and girls about how we are presenting ourselves. And I don't think especially I don't I'm not trying to say that you have to like have perfect clothes and be a certain size, but to mm-hmm. take, but to take care of yourself and, um, to put your best foot forward there in a sense. And once again, it doesn't mean, you know, expensive clothing or anything because it, it is honoring your body. And it is a way that, um, that we tell people that we belong to the Lord and God does care what we wear. And I think that's a big misunderstanding, but God actually does. And I can prove it in Genesis chapter three right now, especially Genesis, um, Genesis three twenty one. Um, Adam and Eve had already had the big fall. They like, you know, messed up. They had their big mistake. God talks them and everything about what's going to happen at this point on, blah, blah, blah. But before this whole thing happens, they are right after it happened, after they realized that they were naked and ashamed at that moment, they go and they get some fig leaves and they try to cover themselves. So they're naked. So you can imagine that, you know, fig leaves aren't all that big, you know, but they're putting themselves together and they're trying to cover themselves in the most basic way. And, mm-hmm. you know, a woman would cover herself in a few areas. A guy's probably covering himself in one area. You can probably use your imaginations of what that would probably look like. Oh, double chin. Got to cover that double chin. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> so as God approaches them, though, in the garden, um, you know, he talks to them. I mean, at the very end in Genesis 3, 21, it says that the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them garments from the skins of an animal and clothe them. So right there, you show that actually the first fashion designer is actually the Lord. The Lord God is the very first. He made clothes. So um, he does care what we wear and he cares about wearing clothing that's appropriate to our dignity. And so I think getting back to what you're saying, Luke, um, what, as long as we're wearing clothing that's appropriate to our dignity and, and, and making a concerted, concerted effort at, whenever we can um, to dress to that level of dignity as being a child of God, I, I do think that that matters. Yeah. So this has been awesome. Thanks for chatting with us. I'm yeah. oh, sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Go no, ahead. I was just going to say, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think the, um, the fashion documentary is called The True Cost. Yeah, that's right. The True Cost on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, I think I think as uh, uh, Catching Fox's audience, we should all watch this. Just like a couple of weeks ago, after we interviewed Ike, we all watched Mean Girls. So uh, <laughs> this is very. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it's on Netflix. It's it's fascinating. Um, if you think Donald Trump is magically going to make America produce clothing and a uh, factory item, manufactured goods here, uh, the kind of the article says. Um, 95% of our clothing used to be made in America and only 3% is now because we need cheap labor and factory systems and all that stuff mm-hmm. to make that happen, which we just wouldn't do here. Um, anywho, so thank you so much, Leah. Thank you for being on. You're welcome. Uh, don't, yeah. be, don't be surprised if your website gets a few more hits. We call it the Catching Foxes <laughs> Bump. Uh, uh, people, yeah, are, is... people now are going to find out who you are. Uh, very excited about it. <laughs> thank you. Don't let the yeah, fame go to your head. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, like hard, but it is, but, you know, like it's possible. I was actually like recognized by one person at, at, a, at a conference. So you know, while, while wearing out. your name tag. <laughs> I know. <laughs> hey, the, I feel, I feel people. good. I feel good that we had this entire conversation and we never actually went into America's Next Stop model. I feel good about that's that. a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Thank thank you for doing that because good gracious, I'm a lot more than a stupid reality TV show. I don't know. I don't know. When I Googled sure. your website, that was like the second thing that came up. It's like well, it's Catholic like, speaker like, and contestant of America's Not It is also because we don't know what we're doing and we tend to just like start at the talk. We're like, oh wait, yeah, we should probably explain this. Uh oh, we're uh, we're like a half hour in, like no going back in the now. conversation. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so sorry. All righty. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Where can people find you, you online? We got leahdarrow.com. You got yep. an active Facebook page, facebook.com slash leah.darrow. Mm-hmm. Are you on Twitter? My Insta- oh, yeah. I am. I am on Twitter. I'm, my, my Twitter handle is at leahdarrow. My Instagram is at leah.darrow. So, yeah, just leahdarrow. You'll figure it out. Did you have to put the dot? <laughs> Did you have to put the no, dot? Because some girl from, like, Skokie, Illinois is... Some Leah Darrow on Instagram doesn't want to give it up. I'm like, can I have Leah Darrow? And she's like, no. I'm like, okay, that's legit because you are Leah Darrow too. So I'll just put a dot in between there. That's cool. That's cool. We'll just share it. (laughs) She gets like thousands. Like, no, I'm I'm really popular right now, but it's all people thinking it's you. This this poor girl gets tagged all the time, and she's like, it's not me. (laughs) It's like there was a, a manufacturing company that sued YouTube because they were capital U. Tube and they and they made bent tubes and they they every day their servers would crash every single day because all these people didn't know how to spell it and would go there. Anywho, the more you know. All right, thank you everyone. Okay, good. That's fine. Bye, Leah. Bye. See you later. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.
Bye, Luke. Bye, Gomer. Love you. Have a good day. Let's take a time out before the show to express our gratitude to you, the listener, for taking time out of your day to make our lives a part of your life. We could not be more thankful. But we're going to ask you for money. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Along with all the other nerds and artistic wannabes, we have started a Patreon page. Patreon is a wonderful way to create both small, reoccurring monthly donations and payments to artists that you love and value their work, like us, but also give you access to unique and exclusive online content. We want to help you help us help us. Wait. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Go on patreon.com slash cf. In order to find our podcast, look at the tiers and donate today. Your reoccurring payments will get our wives stop being so angry because all of our extra money is going to supporting and running the show and not, in fact, to food. So that's a thing. So Patreon, yeah, you can do it.